Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to continue where we left off. We finished with John chapter 3. Today we're going to look at uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. There is so much in this. I, I, I don't want to rush through this too much. I've been putting my running shoes on on some of these, but um, I just want to slow down a little bit on this one because it deals with so many things that relate to us. Um, with Nicodemus, it was more with the religious mind um, and so on and so forth. This is more with us. This is more with, and you know, you still a pastor. Yeah, all of us, we all have issues and situations in our life. I think it was very apt about what Tanya shared with us about this lady that had gone through several marriages. We're going to meet that kind of girl today. And we're going to see how Jesus dealt with her. Hallelujah. Remember, we're learning about evangelism. We're learning about how to talk to people. We're learning about how to relate to people. We're learning about how to tap into God in ministering to people. Amen? Amen. And we need to be careful that we're not religious about it. You know, religion can destroy so much so quickly. And it's always looking to hurt and damage. And you need to see what Jesus does and how he works and works with this woman in such a short time. He does a lot. And I don't want you to miss what he does as we go through this. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew, literal translation says, had come to know that the Pharisee had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, verse 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Judea is in the southern part. Galilee is in the northern. So he's good, And Samaria sits right in the middle. If we had a map, you would see that. In the south is Jerusalem, Nazareth, all of that. Okay. And so Jesus is leaving that area to go up to Galilee. And he has to go through Samaria. All right. In relation to John 4, 3, where it said that Jesus left Judea to return to Galilee, John MacArthur writes, Most likely Jesus wanted to avoid any possible trouble with John's disciples, who were troubled with his growing popularity. And since the Pharisees were also focusing on his growing influence, Jesus decided to leave Judea and travel north in order to avoid any conflict. I think this is really important that we look at this for a minute. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't look for strife. Jesus didn't say, well, you know what? I'm popular. Get over it. <laughs> okay? You know, like some people do. And it, there wasn't this, this spirit of competition. There wasn't this, oh, how are you doing? And I'm, this is how I'm doing. How are you doing? You know, every time you meet church people, have you ever noticed that? Oh, how many people go there? Don't worry about the quality. If you've got 600, they could be the 600 most backbitingest bunch they ever lived, but there's 600. <laughs> you could have 12 who are turning the world upside down wherever they go, but you only have 12. Are you all with me? You know, we need to be so careful that we're not judging things based on what the world judges. I'm sorry to say a lot of the church does that. Their eyes are on the outward, always. And they keep missing the inside. Jesus is interesting that he always looks on the inside, forget about the outside. He sees 
<laughs> this woman, he sees Nicodemus, he sees all the religious people, and he'll talk to her and avoid them. We want to go rub shoulders with, oh, I meant, you know, uh, rabbi so-and-so. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, rub, rub, rub. You know, <laughs> okay? Now, if you know important people, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those that are looking for that. That they can say, you know, <laughs> like Andrew, as Andrew said this to me once. You know, I, I was just saying to Hugh Jackman and uh, Nicole Kidman, I just hate those people that drop names. To make them feel, them feel important. <laughs> you see what I'm trying to yeah, amen? You know what I'm trying to say? You know, it's just kind of that kind of a thing. We're always looking for that. And then somebody goes, oh, you know Hugh? <laughs> oh, I love Nicole. Now you've got a few people hanging on you. Jesus didn't like those sort of people. In fact, when we get to chapter 6 and verse 66, 666, thought that was interesting. It says from that time on, many of his disciples walked away. You know, we always think Jesus always had crowds. He didn't. Let's move on. Okay. Verse 4. It says, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, if I had time, Bible College will get this. But if I had time, I would tell you the history between the Jews and the Samaritans. They were both conquered. They were both taken into captivity. One group would not intermarry. The other group did. The southern group wouldn't. And so they came back pure Jews, quote-unquote. And the other group came back with mixed blood. And the quote-unquote pure Jews said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Because you're all mixed now. You messed up the bloodlines. And so there had been a war going on between the Jews and the Samaritans for a long time. They would they'd attack each other's temples. All in the name of God, by the way. Isn't that beautiful? Get this? I need you to see something here. This is what religion does. This is where you get so caught up in. You know, that's why Jesus said, stop judging. You have no idea what you're doing. And so we need to know this because when Jesus starts speaking to the Samaritan woman, she's going to look at him like, why are you even talking to me? Okay, because we've had this war going on. And <laughs> Jesus now, he brings peace. Can I just say this? Always look for those that bring peace. If you are... If you are dealing with anything that isn't bringing peace, get away from it. If it's causing you to get out of peace, be careful. Are you all with me? Because it's when you're still that you know he's God. When you're jumping around, you don't know. And there's a lot of people that think they're doing God's work that aren't peaceful. They're always fighting something. Be careful that you don't lose your peace in your fight. Yes, we fight. Yes, we have armor. We have swords. We are more than conquerors. Are you all with me? But you need to do it with peace. Always with that peace. So, <laughs> so here comes Jesus. He says, it says that, that he needed to go through Samaria. He needs to resolve a conflict. 
He needs to fix something that has been going on for years. Centuries almost, okay? Decades. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Now, if you, if you see the map, you see Samaria there, and Sychar is kind of to the right. All right? Now, what would the Jews would normally do is they would just take this, you know, elaborate trip all the way just to avoid Samaria. Because they didn't want to touch anything unclean. Bless God. Because if we walk there, who knows what will happen? <laughs> okay? Seriously, that's the mentality. And so it says, so he came to a, a city of Samaria, again in verse 5, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And it says in verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. D.A. Carson says that it is often pointed out that the word for well in this verse uh, refers to a running spring. However, verses 11 and 12, the word means a cistern or dug out well. Jacob's well is both. It was dug out and it is fed by an underground spring that is remarkably reliable to this day. Why did I tell you all that? Because there is something that's going to be said in a minute that relates to that piece of information. Remember again that it's a spring of water. Do you hear that? Did you get that? Okay. It's, there's a spring that feeds the well. Jesus is going to use that word. All right. Verse 6 and part B. The latter half of verse 6. It says, Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. Now I want you to notice that Jesus was wearied by his journey. He wasn't just... You know, I'm God. You know, <laughs> I can just keep going forever. He was wearied. Remember, he is all man and all God. He's all both. All right? And uh, he, he sat down. So not only does the Apostle John inform us of Christ's divine nature, that he was all God. You know, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was God. Okay? The Word dwelt among us. Okay? Became flesh, dwelt among us. But here he also reveal, reveals to us his human nature. That's why he's the perfect mediator between God and man. Because he was all man, he understands you totally. And because he's all God, he understands God totally. Listen to me. And so he looks at you and then translates what you have to say to God in the way God would speak to God. So you don't have a really good guy looking after you. Fighting for you. You have God fighting for you. Why is this important? Because a lot of people have this mentality of a judgmental God. That, you know, and you need to be careful. God will judge. God is judge. All right. That's what First um, John chapter 2 says, you know, I write these things to you that you sin not, verse 1. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The righteous. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, not the slightly tainted. Kind of misses it here and there. But the righteous, the perfect Lord Jesus Christ looking after it. Do you know this is the person we're talking about right now? Do you hear me? All right. Verse 6. The next part of it. It says it was about the sixth hour. Now, the way the Jews count time is this. Six in the morning... It begins. So the sixth hour is 12 noon. 
If you haven't wondered what the hours, you know, it was the 12th hour, it's the 6th hour, it's the 9th hour, it's the 4 and a half hour. No, they didn't say that. But, <laughs> okay, always you count from 6 o'clock. That's when they get up. All right. Verse 7. The reason the time was given, because it's an unusual time to come draw water. Verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Oh, this is, this is messed up. This is, you know, people looking at this will go, this is not good behavior. <laughs> There's a single man and a single woman at a well. Hello, hello. <laughs> no, no, come on. You know, this is, this, is a, this is the sort of stuff religion jumps on. It's not good etiquette. It's not good this. It's not good that. And you can get so caught up in all the not goods that you don't do anything at the end. Because you don't want to touch that unclean thing. Which is what the Jews got to. And there's always a push to go in that direction. Resist it. It's not futile. Like the Borg. <laughs> Never mind. Those of you Star Trekies. All right. In his commentary, D.A. Carson writes, John may have intended a contrast between the woman of this narrative and the man, Nicodemus, of chapter 3. He was learned, powerful, respected, of high moral standing, orthodox, and theologically trained. And that's how you deal with one of those. Now, <laughs> she was unschooled, without influence, despised, of low repute, capable of only folk religion. He was, this is Nicodemus, was a man, a Jew, a ruler. She was a woman, a Samaritan, and a moral outcast. And they both needed Jesus. Amen. And what's astounding is that the Lord proves himself able to save both. I love this. Verse 8. Now it explains why Jesus asked this woman for water. Because it says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So here he is by himself. Okay. Now, what's interesting, and I want to bring this out is John MacArthur points this out. He says, this verse indicates that since Jesus and his disciples were willing to purchase food from the Samaritans, they did not follow some of the self-imposed regulations of stricter Jews who would have been unwilling to eat food handled by outcast Samaritans. <laughs> Bless God. <laughs> okay? Heathen dogs. We're not eating their food. It was not their mentality. Do you hear me? It's important... That we respect everybody. Because it's only through respect that you bring people in. Anyway. Verse 9. It says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it, see this is why she's asking, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That was an absolute, that's why, you know, have you ever thought about the good Samaritan? Do you understand now? That's like us telling a story about a good Nazi. Nah. No, <laughs> just, I need you to see something here. We have certain perceptions. And Jesus is breaking all of those things as we go through. Praise God. Could say a lot here, but let's move on. And Jesus answered, 
and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Leon Morris puts it so well when he says, it was living water that took away defilement and made acceptable worshipers out of unclean people. Can I say that again? Please receive this. It was living water that took away defilement. Whatever it is that she had done, this would cleanse her. Are you all with me? See, Jesus isn't one that points out a sin and then makes you feel bad about it and says, go deal with it. He says, I want to give you something. Anybody, you know, like somebody once said, it takes the IQ of a flower pot to tell us what's wrong. What we need is solutions. Are you all with me? If you see a problem, then you need to say, God, what's the solution? Don't say, thank you for showing me the problem. I can go tell them off now. Okay, <laughs> that's not what it's there for. It's okay, there's a problem. How do I deal with this? How do I bring this individual living water? What is it that he or she needs from me? Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you, <laughs> see, she's thinking naturally now. She says, where then do you get living water? And then she gets a little indignant here. She says, <clears throat> are you greater than our father Jacob? Oh, now suddenly it's our father Jacob. This woman that's coming to the well when nobody's around. Isn't it funny how people get all religious? I still remember this person. <laughs> <It> was <laughs> I won't mention ministries. Uh, uh, this individual had come into town. And he was ministering, and, you know, I mean, he was just giving it to them straight. You know what I'm trying to say? All right. A James kind of ministry. And anyway, this person sitting in, you know, in the congregation was getting all upset about how dare they do this, and how dare they say this, and, you know, our church doesn't believe that. And he goes, it was our church that I never went to, that I would fuss and fight about going once a year to. Suddenly it was our church. And bless God, who is he to come and tell us about and say stuff about against our church? <laughs> People get like this. They get all defensive about religious stuff. And they don't even live the life. I am here. This is my job, by the way. My job is to give you wisdom. My job is to give you insights into things. I hope you get a hold of it. Your job is to take it and use it with your gift, okay? All right. So, so she says, are you greater than our father, uh, Jacob? Now, they're conveniently forgetting all the stuff they messed up with in their bloodlines and intermarrying and everything else. Suddenly, they've got their father, Jacob, okay? And he says, who gave us the well and drank for it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Verse 14, he says, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him, will never thirst. You are spirit, soul, and body. Each needs something. You were designed by God to receive certain things that would fill you. And if you don't receive those things, you'll always feel empty and always be looking. Are you all with me? And so this woman is a woman that is looking for something. 
And Jesus is saying, I've got what you've been looking for for so long in every relationship that has failed, everything that has happened in your life, you've been looking for something, you've just never found it. And it's standing right in front of you. It's here. That's what you need to be for people and to people. You need to be that living water that they've been searching for. Amen? And he says, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Remember the word spring. Remember Jacob's well is fed by a spring. He, Jesus is very clever. He knew that. And he's saying, just the way you understand that that well is being fed by a spring of water that goes through and fills it up. There is a spring that I can give you that will fill you up. That that water will never do. Amen? That's why I said you need to know that bit of information. Because Jesus always has, he is so clever. He uses imagery. He uses things that just gets right down to where you go. I get that. The way that thing continually fills that, this will continually fill me. But she's not there yet. She's kind of going to go, how is that going to work? Okay, But she will get it. You know one of the things about revelations from God? You get it. You, you, you hear it. And at night, about 12 midnight, you hear me preaching all this stuff. And suddenly you wake up and go, I got it. But I'm not there to see it. I have to, by faith, get it that you got it. Believe that you got it. <laughs> okay? All right. Anyway. So, D.A. Carson says that the thirst is not for natural water, but for God, for eternal life in the presence of God. You know, let me say it again. The thirst is not for natural water. Listen. But for God, for eternal life in the presence of God. That's what the thirst is. To be with Him and in His presence. That's where we are satisfied. Amen? When we are not in His presence, we're not satisfied. We go looking somewhere else for that presence. And the devil has a lot of stuff out there. To this, William MacDonald adds, the contrast is very vivid. All the earth can provide is not sufficient to fill the human heart. But the blessings which Christ provides not only fill the heart, but they are too great for any heart to contain. Hallelujah. Our wells should be bursting forth with that life and that living water. Amen. You know, wherever you go, it should be... One of the ways that you see this is a smile that comes from the heart. Not one of those cheesy smiles. And you think, what's going on? <laughs> you know, when a baby does that, get away from it. All right? <laughs> Something going on you don't want to know about. All right? But <laughs> I'm talking about the smile that comes from your heart. Do you know that comes from your heart when there's living water in there? Are you all with me? And then that becomes infectious. Whenever I was at work, you know, I, was, I would have, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a silly grin, I would have like a smile on my face because I was always full of this life and this water. It was always there. How would you put it that same way you drink normal water? With your mouth. You know, I'll be, I'll be saying, thank you God that I'm your child. Or thank you God all things are possible. Whatever. You know, that's when you need it. Right in there when you're in the midst of all the stuff going wrong. That's not the time you go, God, where are you? Right here. 
<laughs> okay? Where are you? <laughs> That's the problem. We just wander off somewhere and he's right where you are. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Because it's very embarrassing. I'm adding that. That's a loose Roche translation. Because there's something going on here. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, uh, go, go call your husband and come here. <laughs> now, I want you to notice when he says this. Please note the time. He didn't see her coming and say, where's your husband? Most of us just want to confront that sin. We want to just slap it. We just want to go, what is wrong with you? I know what you've been up to. Point that finger. Are you all with me? That's why we need compassion. We need love. Jesus said the people are looking for shepherds. Do you understand? Not wolves, shepherds. People that will look after them. And so he has asked her for water. He has put himself in a place where he is obligating himself to her. Do you know, for her to give him water now, you know, he's got to say thank you. He didn't say, you know, get away from me, woman. Uh, I'm going to go get my water myself. I don't want to owe you nothing. This is God asking this woman. See how he works? He says, uh, can I have something? And you go, oh, okay, why are you talking to me? <laughs> you know? And he goes, well, you know. And he goes, well, okay. She's, uh, she's going to forget about her water now. But I want you to notice that he talks to her. He talks to her. He doesn't talk at her. He talks to her. And now he gets to the place where she's talking to him. And he's in conversation. And <laughs> she says, she, he has created a thirst in her. She's going, I want this. Can you give this? And now he has to deal with the sin. Because you can't drink this water while you're in sin. Do you understand? Not an unrepentant sin. You can be in sin, but you need to be repentant. But if you're not going to repent of it, then we need to deal with that. We are not asking people to, you know, to just overnight turn a new leaf, become perfect. Nobody can. First John 1 John 1.9, if we, the Apostle John says, we, we confess our sin. I thank God for that man. Nobody could kill the guy because he was so honest. He just said, well, if I ever miss it, I know I'll miss it. I just never want to be in that place where I open the door for the devil to come and attack me. Every time. So he says, if we, he is faithful and just. We mess up, he's faithful. We kind of go, we did it again. He goes, it's okay. My righteousness is more than sufficient. Don't worry about it. Or well, my grace is more than sufficient. And so is his righteousness. All right? He's always there. He never says, you know, he keeps good count. He never says, this is the 999th time. What is wrong with you? Will never happen. Do you know why? Because he wants to always look after you. He wants to protect you. Jesus is trying to protect this woman now. And so he says, go get your husband. And the woman answered, I, I have no husband. Verse 17. A. And Jesus said to her, 
you have well said. Notice, he didn't say, you're lying, woman. You're hiding things, aren't you? I can tell. I, I really want to draw a, a distinction here because if you don't see this, you won't know how to minister to people. Notice the first thing he does is compliment her. He said, you did well. He says, you have said well, I have no husband. Then he says, uh, you know why? Because he got, he had five, this woman had four. This one had five, five. And the one whom you're with now is not your husband. He says, in that you spoke truly. Again, he compliments her. You have spoken truly. You didn't lie to me when you said I had no husband. Except there was a lot of stuff behind that statement, which you didn't disclose. But do you see the way he's doing this? We really have to watch Jesus because people can preach from this all the wrong things. You need to see how love deals with things. Let me read this to you. It brings the humanity of this out. R. Kent Hughes suggests the following. Her life was a miserable chain of unfulfilling relationships. She longed for fulfillment in her life. And she sought it intensely. Her first marriage had probably began with the racing exhilaration that is common to new love. She expected it would carry through her entire life, but something went wrong. And she had been left alone. Then came another man, and the fires began to flame again, though not, not quite as high as before, only to disintegrate into cold ashes. Then came another, and another, and another. Now as she comes to the well at noon, so she can avoid the respectable people, she is worn down and despised. There are few abuses that have not been hurled at her by the people of Sychar. About the only things she has left are her quick tongue and her wits. Above all, she is filled with a deep longing, a thirst for something better. What's interesting here now is Jesus reveals, I'll, I'll conclude it here, Jesus reveals to her that he sees. Remember, this all started with he knew all men, all women, what was in them. Remember that? He knows what's in her. He's so gentle in the way that he asks her for a drink knowing that she's in this kind of relationship. Knowing that she's sinning. Do you get this? He obligates himself to her, knowing all of this, so that she'll come out and she'll ask him for something. Do you see how this works? He didn't go up there with a big stick wanting to hit her. He drew her in, got her interested, and now he reveals something to her which she doesn't argue about. It is so accurate that she goes and say, in verse 19, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> now, now watch, okay? She suddenly takes a left turn. You know, if she was, this is what was so important, was that she felt safe enough to say something and not deny what Jesus had just said. If you go into anything like this and you go combative, they will deny everything. Even if you get it spot on, they'll go, No, no, that's not right. You know why? Because they don't want to talk to you. Are you kidding? But if you open up and if you let them know, I'm safe. I care for you. 
I've talked to you. You are surprised that we've even talked to you. You know I'm a Jew. You're a Samaritan. I'm a man. You're a woman. You know, this is, I'm righteous. You ain't. You know, all of this stuff and you're still talking to me. See this? Okay. <laughs> Leon Morris writes, The function of a prophet in scriptures was usually to tell forth a message he had from God. But there are evidence that among the people of this time, a prophet sometimes held, uh, was sometimes held to have a special insight into people. This is what's going on. Also, if I was to read something from D.A. Carson, he brings out the fact that the, the, um, the Greek translation allows for it to actually say, I can see that you are the prophet, not just a prophet. Because they knew the prophet was coming. A second Moses. And she's thinking, maybe this is the guy. Because of this, she's going to ask him a question. Because of this, she goes and says, she's going to ask him a question that has divided them for, for centuries. Where do we worship? And the answer is going to be astounding. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. The mountain they're worshipping on, by the way, is where a lot of good stuff happened. It's Mount Gerizim. This is a mountain of blessing. Okay, Ebal was a man of a cursing, okay? So they were on a mountain that was the mountain of blessing. They built their temple on that. And they're saying, okay, so we're on the mountain of blessing. We worship here. And so she says, and you, Jews, say that Jerusalem is the play, place where one ought to worship. So she's bringing up the division because the Jews wouldn't let them come and worship there. So they built their own temple. All right? So we've got this division. <clears throat> I've said here, Abraham's offering of Isaac took place on this mountain. This is where Abraham met Melchizedek. All of those things took place there, all right? And so Jesus says to her, verse 21, he says, Woman, believe me. He said this to emphasize the startling character of the declaration he's about to make, okay? He says, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither exclusively on this mountain or exclusively in Jerusalem worship the Father said you, this won't be an issue very soon. What you've been fighting over for years, this little piece of land and that little temple and that piece of land and that temple won't matter anymore. <laughs> he goes in to say, and you need to understand when he says in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, it sounds a little degrading, but he's, that's the English, okay? What he's saying is you guys don't understand what we are worshipping as much as we do because they only took the five books of Moses. They, they, they dis, disregarded all the rest of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. Okay, all of those were just left out. And all of those spoke of God. So he's saying to her, you guys don't quite know what you're worshipping. Not the way we know. And he's, he's saying this not from a put down point, but because of everything that left out. Alright? But watch, he says, even that won't matter because he says in verse 23, and we'll stop here. He says, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers. Say true worshipers. Okay, not the fake ones. Not the ones that stand at the prayer wall and carry on for hours. Empty words, vain repetitions. He says the true worshipers will worship the Father in where? Spirit and in truth. He didn't say in Jerusalem. Or Mount Gerizim, but in spirit and in truth. And he says, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. 
God is looking for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Yeah, only on Sunday. No. <laughs> Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in spirit and in truth. I can't worship till I get to church. In your car, in spirit and in truth. Standing in the line that's too long. And you want to cuss them out. In spirit and in truth. <laughs> you worship right then. Just say, God, you know, I could spend my time right now thinking about how long that person is taking to serve that person. And if they just would shut up and hurry up and serve that person, they'll get to me a little quicker. I am going to take this time instead. To just say, whoa, this is the time. I'm, I'm, I'm standing here. I'm not doing anything productive. I don't want to be unproductive. And have to repent over something. I'd, <laughs> I'd much rather use this time now. To, to just worship you. And don't go crazy. I don't want to get a call from some barista saying, I got a weirdo here who is singing in tongues and got their hand up. They're causing a big ruckus. Can you please come and collect it? They say they come from your church. I don't know them. No, I don't know. No, this is another, another full life at Quakers Hill. <laughs> don't do stuff like that, please. You can remember it's in spirit and in truth. You can stand there and you can close your eyes and you can just worship God and nobody knows anything is going on. They might think you just nodded off for a second. Oh, you went somewhere, all right. You went to the throne room. And it's amazing how God will start talking to you. And you might find your answers waiting in a queue trying to get your coffee. Because God says, finally, I got you still. Be still. Know that I'm God. Don't be so antsy and upset. See, don't let the devil, and I'll finish with this. Don't, we'll come back to this next week. Don't let the devil steal time from you by getting your mind on things it shouldn't be on. Amen? Gain this wisdom today. And rejoice in every opportunity if you're stuck somewhere that you can actually praise God. You can talk to God. You can receive wisdom. You can make some confessions without getting pulled over and lights behind you. Because you were driving. And you went a little nuts. And your car was dancing on the road. You were having a great worship time. You also get a great ticket. It won't work, but officer, I was in the presence of God. He said, dude, you're on the road. You need to be in this presence right now. Amen. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, for all that you are revealing to us, what we're receiving. Hallelujah. And we just thank you as we grow in these things, God. And that's what we're here to do. We are here to grow. So that the fruit within us begins to manifest. And for those that are just receiving, have received you, God, and they're just getting to know you. I pray that they are getting to know a Savior that they can trust and they can love. And that loves them and will look after them. And isn't worried about all the things man is worried about. But sees into their heart and sees all the injustices that were done to them. The reason why they are the way they are. Why no, things that nobody else can see. You see and you sympathize. Those others judge. You see and you know. The dreams that were crushed. The hopes that were lost. And you want to be there for us. 
you want to fill that void and bring that living water that would not only bubble up but spring forth from our life. That we're not looking to always be ministered to but out of this excess that we now can be a blessing to someone else. In Jesus' name, amen.